Patient Care During Minimally Invasive Lateral Spine Surgery by Carolyn Default. Abstract. Perioperative nurses care for patients undergoing a wide range of surgical procedures. One fast-growing surgical specialty is spine surgery performed using minimally invasive techniques. Patients may be candidates for a minimally invasive spine surgery based on their presenting signs and symptoms and medical imaging test results. Open anterior and posterior surgical approaches to spine surgery are how surgeons traditionally have performed these procedures. However, new technology has enabled a minimally invasive lateral approach to the spine. This approach minimizes many of the risks and challenges associated with both the anterior and posterior approaches. Minimally invasive lateral intrabody fusion requires the perioperative nurse to have a thorough understanding of the necessary patient positioning, spinal anatomy, and OR suite setup to ensure a safe and successful surgical experience for the patient. In the United States, back pain is the most common cause of activity limitation in individuals less than 45 years of age and is the third most common cause of surgical procedures. Further, it is estimated that 75% to 80% of adults will experience low back pain at least once in their lifetime. There are many pathological diseases of the spine for which a patient may seek medical attention, including degenerative disc disease, traumatic spinal cord injuries, spondylolisthesis, that is, forward slippage of a vertebra, tumors of the spine, spinal column instability, for example, as a result of fracture, spinal deformity, for example, scoliosis, or stenosis of the spinal nerves, that is, narrowing of the space around the spinal cord, leading to nerve root pressure. To understand the pathophysiology of spine injuries and the surgical repairs that may need to be performed, it is important to review spinal anatomy. 33 bones, that is vertebra, comprise the spinal column. The vertebra of the neck or cervical spine are identified as C. The thoracic vertebra is T and the lumbar vertebra as L. Below the lumbar spine are the sacrum, S, and the coccyx, which is not numbered. Vertebra surround and protect the delicate spinal cord that runs down the center of the vertebra. Intravertebral discs are soft, spongy tissue located between each vertebra. These discs act as a cushion to the spine, absorbing energy and shock when an individual bends, flexes, or twists his or her back or neck. Many nerves that innervate critical structures of the human body branch off from the spinal cord and exit the vertebral column between each vertebra at various locations. Treatment options usually begin with conservative measures such as physical therapy, an exercise program, steroid injections, nerve stimulation, or acupuncture. However, if patients continue to have physical symptoms that limit their quality of life despite non-surgical interventions, they may choose to be evaluated by a spine surgeon. The spine surgeon, for example, an orthopedic surgeon or neurosurgeon, will perform a thorough physical evaluation and review the patient's imaging studies. For example, computerized tomography scan, magnetic resonance imaging, to determine if the patient is an appropriate surgical candidate. For example, 
patient symptoms are surgically treatable, and the benefits of surgery outweigh its risk. If the patient is an appropriate surgical candidate, the surgeon will discuss potential surgical options and make a recommendation for the best option for relief of the patient's symptoms. Surgical interventions include fusion or non-fusion spine surgery. If a spinal fusion is indicated, there are several open and minimally invasive approaches to access the spinal column. Open approaches include anterior lumbar interbody fusion, ALIF, posterior lumbar interbody fusion, PLIF, and transferominal lumbar interbody fusion, TLIF. There are several challenges to these approaches. If performing an open ALIF, the exposure is difficult and may require the expertise of a vascular or general surgeon. Mobilization of the great vessels, for example, aorta, vena cava, iliac arteries, and veins, is required, and there is potential for blood loss and injury to vasculature and visceral structures, as well as postoperative sexual dysfunction in males. With a posterior approach to the spine, for example, TLIF, PLIF, the paraspinal muscles are dissected, and the surgeon is limited by the size of the interbody cage. That is, metal or plastic rectangular implants that are placed in the disc space that he or she can implant because of the spinal structures protecting the spinal cord. Interbody cages are usually porous and allow the bone graft to grow from the vertebral body through the cage and into the next vertebral body. Dural tears and nerve root injuries are also potential complications of an open posterior approach. Minimally Invasive Lateral Interbody Fusion An alternative to open surgery is a minimally invasive lateral interbody fusion, MISLIF, via a retroperineal trans-psoas approach. This technique has gained popularity compared with traditional open fusions that use an anterior or posterior approach. The literature shows that minimally invasive approaches are showing favorable outcomes compared with open techniques. Minimally invasive lateral interbody fusion mitigates the risk of the anterior approach and the complications associated with the posterior approach by preserving the anatomy surrounding the spine and avoiding unnecessary muscle disruption. This, in turn, results in less blood loss and subsequently fewer blood transfusions. Other benefits include a lower incidence of infection, shorter operative times, and decreased infection rates, postoperative narcotic consumption, and length of hospital stay. The MIS-LIF approach also allows the surgeon to implant a larger interbody cage that can restore disc height and correct a spinal deformity. It is important to note that minimally invasive lateral techniques require the surgeon to have a thorough understanding of 3D spinal anatomy. Because of the small incision, the surgeon must rely on intraoperative fluoroscopy and neuromonitoring guidance during these procedures. Because the technique in MIS-LIF surgery differs from open approaches, the most significant complications to MIS-LIF are approach-related. The nerves of the lumbosacral plexus pass through the psoas muscle fibers and are at risk of injury when accessing the spine using a trans-psoas approach. The most common reported complications in MIS-LIF 
related to splitting the psoas muscle during the dissection or minor trauma to the lumbar plexus, are ipsilateral anterior thigh or groin pain or numbness and psoas muscle weakness. Most patients who report these symptoms see resolution by their six-month follow-up appointment. The rate of postoperative thigh symptoms varies dramatically from 0.7% to 62.7%. It is likely that the surgeon's experience with the anatomy and procedure greatly influences patient outcomes. Surgery Scheduling The patient undergoing MISLIF should be scheduled using a physician preference card that reflects the minimally invasive lateral approach versus an open lateral approach. The surgery schedule should identify whether the left decubitus or right decubitus position is needed. For example, in a patient with a spinal deformity, the surgeon may correct the deformity with proper cage positioning and placement. Surgeons commonly prefer approaching the deformity from its concave side. OR preparation. The laterality of the approach will directly affect how the surgical team sets up the OR suite and positions the patient. Correct setup of the OR suite is critical to the success of MIS-LIF. Surgical teams who are unfamiliar with the room configuration for MIS-LIF may work with their spinal implant vendor representative to obtain educational materials and illustrations to educate staff members about the nuances of room setup before surgery. The correct configuration of the surgical bed is important because the surgeon will need to maneuver it to ensure correct fluoroscopic imaging and surgical exposure. Several bed adjustments that the team may need to execute interoperatively include lateral tilting, flexing at the mid-bed break, and positioning in the Trendelenburg and reverse Trendelenburg. The bed must be configured to allow fluoroscopy unit that is, C-arm, access throughout the procedure. This is accomplished by ensuring that the base of the bed is under the patient's legs and that this reverse configuration can still support the patient's weight. The bed also must be able to flex at the patient's waist near the iliac crest. Before the team transfers the patient to the OR, the perioperative nurse should ensure that the proper positioning devices are readily available. This includes placement of a draw sheet on the bed and gathering an auxiliary gel roll, several pillows, an overhead arm board to support the patient's superior arm, a standard arm board for the dependent arm, and pressure-reducing gel positioners to pad pressure points. Lead aprons should be available in the room for all members of the surgical team because intraoperative fluoroscopy will be used throughout the procedure. Whenever possible, the C-arm should be in the room before the patient arrives. After the patient is in the lateral position, the radiology technician will place the C-arm over the surgical field from the side facing the patient's abdomen, and the surgeon will stand at the patient's back. The surgical technologist or scrub person and the back table are generally on the same side as the surgeon. However, the scrub person can also be located opposite the surgeon at the level of the patient's abdomen if he or she is able to stay safely out of the way of the C-arm. Steps or lifts should be available if the surgeon needs improved vision of the surgical incision site with a dilator and tubular retractor in place. Surgeon-directed electromyography, EMG, neuromonitoring is recommended for MIS-LIF procedures, 
and the neuromonitoring screen is generally positioned near the foot of the OR bed within the surgeon's line of sight. Because of the small incision and tubular retractor used, a light cable integrated on the retractor often is used to aid in the ability to see the incision site. A light source should be positioned near the head of the bed at the patient's back, next to the surgeon. Placement of the light source on the opposite side near the patient's head or chest could potentially block the path of the C-arm, which must enter the surgical field multiple times throughout the procedure. The perioperative nurse should check that the lighted cable the scrub person passes off the field will fit into the light source correctly. The nurse should ensure that the proper light cable adapter is in the room before the start of the surgery. Generally, the vendor has light cable adapters and sterile instrument sets that adapt to several brands and styles of light sources. Neuromonitoring and Anesthesia Intraoperative Neurophysiological Monitoring, IONM, has been widely used in spine surgery since the introduction of the somatosensory evoked potential, SSEM, neuromonitoring in the 1980s. Intraoperative Neurophysiological Monitoring is a tool for early intraoperative detection of neurological compromise by monitoring nerve function. Early notification of a compromise helps to prevent postoperative neurological injuries. Some of these potential early neurological compromises are caused by mechanical stress. For example, cervical surgery neck positioning and positioning taping on various parts of the body, especially the shoulders or neck. Surgical manipulation, for example, distraction, retraction, graft insertion, and hypotension. Because surgeon-directed IONM, that is, not requiring a technician to place needles and interpret signals, is often used during MISLIF surgery. A discussion among the RN circulator, surgeon, and anesthesia professional regarding the use of paralytic and inhalation agents should occur before the induction of anesthesia. Both paralytic medications and halogenated inhalation agents can dampen the signals of the IONM and make the recordings unreadable. Therefore, in procedures in which IONM is being used, the anesthesia professional usually maintains the patient under a general anesthetic with a total IV anesthesia consisting of a hypnotic medication, for example, propofol, and a narcotic, for example, fentanyl, remifentanil, sufentanil. Total IV anesthesia may enhance the sensitivity and specificity of IONM. After the patient is anesthetized and before positioning, the surgeon or his or her assistant will place EMG monitoring needles or surface electrodes on the patient's lower extremities. The EMG monitoring remains on throughout the procedure, that is, free-run monitoring. Shortly after induction of general anesthesia, the surgeon will perform a series of twitch tests on the patient's muscles. During the procedure, if a surgical instrument presses on or near a nerve, the machine will alarm. Therefore, it is imperative that the anesthesia professional use either no paralytic, a fast-acting paralytic, or a paralytic that can be easily reversed. A key component to the MISLIF approach is real-time IONM to ensure safe dissection through the psoas muscle to the disc space while avoiding the nerves of the lumbar plexus housed within the psoas muscle. Identification of the lumbar plexus via continuous EMG monitoring 
decreases the risk of nerve injury by notifying the surgeon in real time of his or her proximity to the plexus. Some surgeons may use surface electrodes in lieu of needles. The electrodes are placed over groups of muscles that a single nerve innervates, called myotomes. In both electrode and needle monitoring, the vastus medialis, tibialis anterior, biceps femoris, and medial gastrocnemius are monitored for responses from the L through S spinal nerves. The surgeon places reference and returns electrodes on the patient's upper thigh and near the surgical site. Spontaneous free-run EMG shows no activity at baseline, which signals healthy nerve root function. However, discharges can be seen with nerve stretch, blunt trauma, compression, or ischemia. High-frequency or high-amplitude responses suggest irritation to the nerve roots. After placing the needles or surface electrodes, the surgeon or his or her assistant performs a train-of-four twitch test to confirm that there are no long-acting paralytics in the patient's circulatory system. After completion of the twitch test, patient positioning begins. Patient positioning. For the success and safety of the patient undergoing MISLIF, the importance of correct patient positioning cannot be overstated. Incorrect positioning may result in the misplacement of the surgical retractors inside the psoas muscle, which significantly increases the risk of injury to the dural sac, retroperineal vessels, lumbar plexus, and the psoas muscle. Before assisting with lateral decubitus patient positioning, the perioperative nurse should perform a skin assessment on the patient. Prevention of pressure injury is an important aspect of perioperative patient care because surgical positioning presents a risk for skin breakdown and pressure injury. Some factors that increase a patient's susceptibility to a pressure injury include age, nutritional status, body mass index, BMI, outside the normal range. That is, BMI is less than or greater to 21 kilograms per square meter, or BMI is greater than 28 kilograms per square meter. Comorbidities, skin condition, and American Society of Anesthesiologists physical status classification of two or three. The perioperative nurse should communicate with the surgical team members regarding the patient's risk for positioning injury. Orthopedic procedures are a significant predictor of pressure injury. In fact, abdominal, non-cardiac thoracic, and orthopedic procedures result in the most pressure injuries. A key causative factor for pressure injury is external pressure on bony prominences for prolonged periods of time. Some high-risk areas for pressure injuries to the patient in the lateral decubitus position are the dependent iliac crest, dependent lateral knee, and lateral malleolus. To help mitigate risks, the perioperative nurse may choose to use a protective barrier dressing over bony prominences. Multiple studies performed in the inpatient setting have demonstrated that prophylactic pressure-reducing dressings can significantly reduce the amount of shear delivered to the skin by displacing the shear force outside the dressing area, providing bulk to absorb shear, and stretching and molding to the skin's surface to absorb pressure. The perioperative nurse works in collaboration with the surgical team to position the patient safely in the lateral decubitus position. A draw sheet may be used to assist the team with moving the patient to the lateral position. 
patients should be positioned on surfaces that are smooth and wrinkle-free. Therefore, after placing the patient in the lateral position, the surgical team should ensure that the draw sheet is not bunched under the patient. The RN circulator should pad all bony prominences. He or she can use gel overlays that are designed to reduce shearing and support the patient's weight without becoming fully compressed under the weight of the patient's body. Gel pads are also radiolucent, latex-free, and reusable. The team should flex both of the patient's legs. In traditional lateral positioning, the bottom leg is flexed while the top leg is kept straight. However, for MISLIF surgery, the top leg is bent as well to relax the psoas muscle to allow for easier dissection. The RN circulator should place several pillows between the patient's legs and an auxiliary roll under the patient's dependent thorax, distal to the axilla, and supporting the ribcage. To improve cardiac output, protect the dependent humerus, and avoid compression of the brachial plexus. The RN circulator should align the pad and the suspended arm on an overhead arm board. The extended dependent arm may need support at the elbow, and the wrist may be flexed with the palm facing up to prevent any undue tension on the nerves. It is important that the patient's iliac crest is positioned at the level of the table break. This allows the space between the ribcage and the iliac crest to open up when the table is flexed. If the surgeon's preference or length of surgery indicates the need for an indwelling urinary catheter, the catheter drainage bag should be placed at the foot of the bed. If the anesthesia professional requests the drainage bag be placed at the head of the bed, the tubing should be positioned level with the OR bed, but below the level of the bladder. It is imperative that the indwelling urinary catheter tubing is not left hanging freely under the bed because the constant movement of the C-arm from anterior-posterior to lateral imaging can pull on the tubing, potentially causing the patient harm. The surgeon uses C-arm fluoroscopy to obtain pre-incision anterior-posterior and lateral x-rays. Excellent C-arm images are especially important for MIS-LIF procedures because of the limited ability to see the surgical field. After acceptable fluoroscopic images have been obtained, the team firmly secures the patient to the OR bed to prevent any movement intraoperatively and flexes the bed at the iliac crest to allow for better access to the disc space. The patient may be placed in the Trendelenburg or reverse Trendelenburg positions or tilted laterally to maximize fluoroscopic viewing of the end plates and pedicles. Surgical Technique After the surgical team agrees that the patient is safely positioned and they have obtained favorable pre-incisional C-arm images, the RN circulator preps the patient. After prep is complete, the surgical team drapes the patient. The surgeon makes a 3-4 centimeter incision on the patient's flank directly over the desired disc space. He or she longitudinally dissects the muscles of the abdominal wall using blunt finger dissection. The surgeon may use his or her index finger or a blunt instrument during dissection until the retroperineal space is reached. The surgeon then introduces a dilator through the psoas muscle and rests it on the disc space. The exact position of the dilator depends on the safe working zones he or she has identified. Continuous EMG monitoring is performed as larger tubular dilators are introduced to help ensure no injury occurs to the lumbar plexus nerve roots.
Depending on the manufacturer, the dilators may be equipped with a localized EMG-stimulating field on the distal end. A lower response threshold, usually signaled with smaller numbers, indicates that the dilator is close to a nerve. A higher response threshold, usually signaled with larger numbers, is desirable and indicates that the dilator is farther from a nerve. Electromyography nerve monitoring is a necessary tool to prevent nerve injury while traversing the psoas muscle during placement of the retractor. The surgeon then replaces the retractor into the surgical incision and opens it just enough to allow for the disectomy and cage placement. It is important to note that anterior, posterior, and lateral C-arm images are taken during this entire process. Next, the surgeon attaches the light cord to the retractor and passes the connecting end off the surgical field for the RN circulator to attach to the light source and turn on at the surgeon's request. The perioperative nurse must ensure that the light is in standby mode when the retractor is not in use to mitigate the fire risk associated with the use of a lighted retractor. Subsequently, the surgeon performs a disectomy using pituitary rongers, kerosene rongers, and curettes. After the surgeon clears the disc material, he or she determines the cage size needed by using trial sizers. After the surgeon confirms the cage dimensions, the scrub person loads the cage with the surgeon's preferred graft. The surgeon may use rasps for end plate preparation and then insert the packed cage into the disc space. During this time, the retractor causes the psoas and abdominal muscles to stretch, increasing intramuscular tension, which could contribute to nerve injury. Therefore, it is important for the surgeon to expedite the disectomy and cage insertion to prevent postoperative thigh weakness. Additional disectomies and cage placements may need to be performed if multiple levels require repair. The surgeon closes the incision by placing stitches in the external oblique fascial layer, subcutaneous layer, and skin. The surgeon may also choose to place a drain. After the surgeon or his or her assistant applies the dressing and removes the surgical drapes, the perioperative team moves the patient from the lateral position to the supine position onto the postoperative recovery bed and transports him or her to the post-anesthesia care unit where a handover report is given to the receiving nurse. Individual institutions may have their own standardized handover report templates. These reports should include information that may not be readily available for review in the intraoperative record, such as skin abnormalities, positioning concerns or restrictions, and patient anxiety or psychosocial issues. The post-anesthesia care unit nurse should have the opportunity to ask questions to help ensure a smooth transition of care for the surgical patient. Teamwork and communication. From the time the patient is scheduled for surgery until the completion of the procedure, constant communication among all surgical team members is important. Research has shown that poor communication among patient care teams is a major factor in surgical errors. Neurosurgery in particular is a high-risk specialty, and studies show that, on average, one error occurs per neurological procedure. To help mitigate risks, all members of the surgical team must actively participate and effectively work together to provide safe and high-quality patient care. The OR can potentially be a hierarchical environment in which team members may fear speaking up when they have a safety concern or question. However, communication is a give-and-take process 
and continual efforts must be made to empower all team members to feel engaged and encouraged to speak up for patient safety. Conclusion Minimally invasive lateral interbody fusions are complex procedures, and the perioperative nurse should be educated on the potential intraoperative considerations and special precautions required to ensure patient safety. A team-based approach and collaboration during room setup and patient positioning and preparation, as well as an understanding of the surgical technique, will maximize the potential for positive patient outcomes.